Paper Flower Consortium, Episode 8, Death and Taxes. Recording by Loretta Fabron-Amfoy, a former lady of the Kingdom of France and the current historian and librarian of the Paper Flower Consortium. Welcome back, my beloved initiates. To become a vampire, you must die. I have gone over this in previous lessons. But there is one other certainty in a vampire's existence, and that is taxes. The world's governments know that there are vampires and they require us to pay our taxes. That we have died once does not permit us to forgo this obligation. As we are part of society, it is imperative that vampires file federal, state, and local taxes. Many vampires, especially rogue vampires, can get behind on their taxes and their eternity becomes an eternal hell. If you cannot imagine an eternity of paying taxes, then you cannot imagine an existence as a vampire and you must leave the initiation program. Some may feel that I'm being harsh, but the entire reason I have created this program is so you understand the true existence of being a vampire. Tax structures change through the centuries. The duty, which Jacob owed in France, wasn't even paid in francs, but a specialty die, and of course, men-at-arms. Most of them were eager to prove themselves to their king. However, the Paper Flower Consortium is an American coven, and so let us talk about American taxes. At this time, these are required to be paid in dollars by tax day. Since 1955, for those living in the U.S., tax day has typically fallen on April 15th. But this year, due to the pandemic, it is Wednesday, July 15th, 2020. For tax year 2019, the IRS has adjusted income tax brackets for inflation, which may impact how you personally prepare your taxes. This is why I suggest for every vampire to get a good vampire accountant. These experts can pay for themselves as they take a longer view than human accountants. And one of the most important benefits of a vampire accountant is they understand the financial ramifications and need of torpor. And they can be hired to represent you during your time of torpor. Now, before we continue, I will define torpor. Torpor is not the daily sleep of the dead. It is a long sleep, which helps our mind adjust in the long centuries of eternity. Every vampire needs torpor. However, the time between torpors is individual. Most vampires don't take their first torpor until after a century or even two. Though the world moves much faster now, and I have seen younger and younger vampires need torpor more often. Some call this hibernation. However, there is an important difference. Torpor is involuntary, and once the vampire's body begins the torpor cycle, the vampire only has a few more nights to make preparations for a long sleep. In fact, if your body ever starts going through the torpor cycle, you must make preparations immediately. And one of the most important arrangements 
especially in the modern age, is financial arrangements. To illustrate my point, tonight I shall tell an account in 1956. Though I was able to get permission to tell this story, the names in this lesson have been changed to protect the innocent. Mortimer Robert Edwards, a rogue vampire, was a computer for the port, and he had held this job since 1911. Before that, he was a clerk for a shipping company. Now, some of you may be curious how he could hold that job so long. He worked the night shift as ships came in and went at all hours. Though he had his friends and co-workers, many people changed shifts or changed apartments, and so Mortimer just steadily worked, and no one really paid that much attention. You see, in 1896, when he was a shipping clerk, he was attacked by a vampire, and he woke up and survived a few days more, and then he died. He was reborn with minimal understanding that he was a vampire and did not need to fear death anymore. However, he did fear the sun and fire, as we all do. To keep himself safe, he did not hunt. He did not keep a thrall. In fact, when he came to us, he had never heard of such a thing. He raised a hutch of rabbits and purchased larger cuts of meat from a local butcher. His sustenance was based on animals, and this meant that he had a long life, and he had stopped aging in his early 30s. And though he had gotten a bit stronger after 60 years, he had no idea of his vampire abilities. He liked being a computer. This was obviously before machines undertook the job of computing. And it was a decent, though humble, occupation, which allowed him to use his mind without a college degree. And Mortimer was not a rich man, but he was content in his quiet little two-bedroom craftsman, which overlooked a park and was within walking distance to the house of worship of his religion. He was a quiet man and a good neighbor. And honestly, and as he worked night shift, his neighbors really didn't pay attention to him. Mortimer started his vocation in faith that it meant he was a good man and a gentleman at that. But when companies turned their operations from commercial imports toward the military shipyards, his calculations also went to war. Still, as a computer, no one asked why an able-bodied man was not volunteering for the military. And so he stayed there quietly. It pained him to lose many friends in World War II, whether they volunteered for the military or worse, sent to Japanese internment camps. Still, Mortimer's skills were needed at the port and he did not leave his job. However, once World War II ended, like our own William, Mortimer felt his actions contributed to the wholesale slaughter of humankind. In this new age, he stopped wanting blood. He didn't even want to drink the blood from his rabbits, so instead he freed them all. And he spent his nights staring at his numbers, as you can imagine, his work suffered. In 1947, Mortimer set his affairs in order through the human legal system, and he climbed in his coffin and decided to sleep. Approximately seven and a half years later, Mortimer opened his coffin, which was crusted now with rat droppings and spider webs, and smelled a little bit of mold. After all, this is Seattle, and it rains all the time here. Still, 
Mortimer felt freer than he had when he had laid down. And he walked downstairs into his parlor. Other than the spiders, or perhaps even mice in the corners, his house was pretty empty as he expected it to be. And there was a pile of mail at the mailbox, which he expected. His power and water had been turned off as he requested. He had plenty of cash and he dressed in his suit. Outside, the sidewalk was damp from an ongoing drizzle, and that was good. Even though it was still daylight hours, he could leave his house. And he could walk and consider his options. And he also could walk down the street to the public telephone and turn on his power and water. He walked across town, the sidewalk, the street hadn't been washed and was stained with pigeon and seagull poop. There were cigarette butts littering the drain. As he moved through town, he noticed how taxi drivers or doormen would nod or touch their caps at his approach. He felt as if he was being watched in this new world. And he wondered if they all knew that he was unemployed. After a lifetime of labor since he was 13, he felt as if he did not know himself unemployed. So he walked to the port and reapplied for his old job. He was sad to see his old job no longer existed. However, he met one of his former co-workers who remembered him as a hardworking man. This contact helped him gain employment as a switch runner in the telecommunications room. And Mortimer, for his part, was glad of this new challenge. Now, unfortunately for Mortimer, there was an IRS agent, David Michael Ackerman, who enjoyed searching out early social security numbers and found tax returns filed after long periods of inactivity, especially if they were self-filed. Now, this story is not to slander the hardworking people at the IRS. This agent was an evil man. Agent Ackerman was not a true vampire hunter in the sense that he had no interest in killing. He just wanted to serve his own interests. And he knew that most vampires didn't want a scandal. Now Mortimer filed his own taxes. As an honest man with a history in bookkeeping and math, Mortimer was shocked to receive an audit notification, but he didn't necessarily worry. He was sure there was a simple mistake, so he answered the audit notification and made an in-home appointment. Mortimer did not like the fact he had to make a daytime appointment, but the cold voice on the phone gave him no choice in the matter. And with his paperwork and identity information collected, Mortimer opened the door to his small house for Agent Ackerman without representation. Mortimer felt as if there was something bitter in Agent Ackerman's fake smile as the men shook hands. And Mortimer asked, may I get you a cup of coffee? Mortimer wished that Ackerman hadn't followed him into the kitchen, but he did his best to remain cordial. And he also felt as if Ackerman's eyes were looking through him and landing on his possessions. Trying to force his attention back to him, Mortimer said, milk, sugar? I take it black, Ackerman said. Your account was flagged due to the long gap in filing your tax returns, Mr. Edwards. Please explain why you did not file your tax returns from the years of 1948 to 54. Mortimer handed him the cup of coffee and said, 
I had a gap of employment during those years and was not required to file. Why did you have such a long gap in employment, Mr. Edwards? And pouring his own cup of coffee, a sickness, I had no income during those years. And that's when Mortimer noticed that Ackerman held a small compact in his hand. And suddenly Mortimer thought, did Ackerman know a vampire does not cast a reflection? Damn Dracula. But Ackerman slipped the compact into his pocket and said, what lovely cups are they antique? And Mortimer shrugged and said, I got them from Sears. Now, in truth, he didn't actually remember if he got them at Sears, but since he purchased most of his possessions from the Sears catalog, it was a pretty good guess. They returned to the dining room, where Mortimer had his paperwork set out. Still, Ackerman did not look at the paperwork. He stared at a painting over the fireplace. Mortimer didn't know why. Of course, he liked it, but it wasn't valuable. In fact, Mortimer had purchased it from an unknown street artist at a farmer's market. And so he said, how can I help you, Mr. Ackerman? And Ackerman said, do you have any medical bills or anything to prove your illness? No, sir, I did not keep them, Mortimer said. I didn't know I needed to. Ackerman pressed his fingers together and leaned forward. Then how did you live? And Mortimer said, I live very simply, sir. Do you have any other investments? No, sir, Mortimer said. Ackerman scuffed his chair loudly across the floor as he stood up and over Mortimer. I think you are lying and you have no rights, beast. Mortimer froze as Ackerman opened his coat and pulled out a knife. Without warning, Ackerman shoved the knife into Mortimer's forearm and the pain didn't register as Mortimer tried to slap the other man away. And all he ended up doing was spilling coffee across his dining room table and paperwork. A dull throb grew into a hot surge of pain as the knife withdrew, and Mortimer wasn't even sure he felt the second time the blade move into his arm. What he was noticing was Ackerman's pulse never rose. In fact, Ackerman didn't even sweat. And he leaned closer and said, this doesn't hurt you. Now tell me what I want to know. Mortimer could not decide what to do, but his body moved in self-preservation. Knocking a chair over, Mortimer ran, and the knife hit his flesh of his back several more times. The sun was out and shined in his face, but Mortimer ran to the nearby park and hid under the trees. Panting in the shade, that was when he realized he was hemorrhaging profusely and blood soaked his dark gray tweed coat. He glanced around. Agent Ackerman was not behind him. But Mortimer wasn't sure where he was either. He didn't know where to go or what to do. At that point, he didn't even understand why Ackerman stabbed him, and all he was thinking was he needed to get right by the IRS. He took off his coat and looked at his open flesh and sliced muscles. He choked on a little bit of bloody vomit, which he pushed back down and Mortimer's skin was aflame as the knife wound slowly 
crusted together. He knew he needed blood. He heard children shrieking playfully from a game of tag nearby, and fearing he might harm one of them, he began to walk, doing his best to remain in the shade. A siren made him jump, and he hid behind another tree. He squeezed into a cafe. It was busy, but there was a seat at the bar, and he took it and ordered a cup of coffee and a rare steak. The waitresses and other patrons' pulses inflamed his passion for blood. He knew for the first time as a vampire that blood would heal him completely. He was so tired, and they looked so delicious. No, he couldn't kill them. Not out of moral reasons. In fact, he was just thinking he couldn't kill them all, and if he exposed himself as a vampire, they would throw him back into the sun. And so he asked the waitress, Excuse me, do you have a phone? And she gestured in the back. And Mortimer, who generally sort of knew of the Paperflower Consortium, though he was not a member, let his fingers do the walking and called the night owl. And with Mortimer's phone call, the coven became aware of Ackerman's misdeeds towards our brethren of Mortimer and his distress. Now, since the sun was up, the human staff sent a car for him, and the driver found him clutching the phone. When the driver tried to help, Mortimer moved jerkily with artless incoordination as he tried to pay his tab and fell into the backseat of the car. And then he wept the entire way to the coven, occasionally mumbling about how he was in debt with the IRS. And by the time they had crossed the city and the human staff had checked him in, the driver was so concerned that he called our apartment to wake Charles. And as Charles can be either accidentally or purposely intimidating, I went with him to check on Mortimer. And as we assumed he would be, Mortimer was reticent with Charles. His fear was written on his ashen face. But when he saw me, he looked around and offered me a chair. In my long centuries, I have seen several wounded vampires trying to hide their wounds. And so I asked him, with just a slight tug on his will, What's wrong, Mr. Edwards? I can pay. I have $20 on me, he said. I can pay. Of course you can. My mother is a doctor. Should I get her? I asked him. And at first he denied me, but I did talk him into seeing Agatha. Now, this was before our blood bank, but Agatha took his temperature and stitched his wounds. And she always had a few what we now call polyamorous enthralled humans. And she asked her enthralled humans to give Mortimer blood to help the poor man heal. And the enthralled human obliged. But as Mortimer took the first gentle sip, he screamed a thousand ear-splitting shrieks as muscles and flesh knitted back together. And with tears in his eyes and panting in agony, Mortimer told us everything that had happened to him earlier that day. He still believed he just needed to get right by the IRS. In fact, he believed that Ackerman had the right to stab him. And thankfully, he took our advice to speak to Jacob and Derek and then spent the day in the night owl. The next night, Mortimer wanted to go home, but agreed that Charles and his second-born Jeffrey, and then Pascaline and Norma, might return with him. 
as we feared. Ackerman had corrupted Mortimer's home. He had changed it from a place of security to a place of danger. And no vampire can sleep the sleep of the dead if they are in danger. The man, searching for items of wealth, left the house in shambles. Mortimer's coffin had been smashed. His stock of cow blood had been splashed on the walls and upholstered furniture. His china lay across the tile floor. And Mortimer quickly realized that Ackerman had found a few antique snuff boxes, cufflinks, and rings. His cash supply of $2,500, which is close to about $24,000 today. And Mortimer realized that Ackerman had also took his paperwork and identity. And we would discover later that his savings account had been drained. But at that point, the vampires collected what they could find in good order. There were a few suits, toiletries, towels, extra linens. There was a box of books and even a few photos of Mortimer's human life. They were able to take the table and chairs as it was solid wood and could be washed, but the rest of it was all left behind. And Mortimer wept all the way back to the paper flower consortium. Pascaline patted his hand, and Jeffrey is a preacher by calling and spoke words of comfort. In the front seat, Norma kept her eyes open while Charles drove. They admittedly did not see Ackerman or a following car, but they still circled the blocks a few times and took a less-than-direct route. Mortimer, after discovering his accounts had been drained, also gave notice at work. He realized if Ackerman wanted him, he had the address to everything. Due to the expenses of trying to build a new identity and losing his home, Mortimer ended up in debt. However, I will say the story does have a happy ending. Jacob gave Mortimer a job in the bank, and as the building was still mostly empty in the 50s, Jacob rented Mortimer an apartment in the coven until he had enough of a down payment for his next home. Now, a word from our sponsor, Paper Flower Credit Union. We would like to remind you that tax day is July 15th and personal tax assistance is still available to account holders. Vera Montgomery and Jessica Carter are certified public accountants in good standing. They remain vigilant with the yearly changes to tax code to ensure your taxes are correct. And remember, beyond tax assistance, certified public accountants are faithful advisors to assist individuals and businesses in reaching their eternal financial goals, and they also offer representation. It's time for questions. Lady Loretta, so you really have to pay income taxes every year? Yes, you must file and pay taxes every year. And some years, you might even get a return. Lady Loretta, why didn't Norma help Mortimer? Norma did help. She helped move furniture and pack boxes. But I'm assuming you mean, why didn't Norma clean up the mess? In 1956, Norma's cleaning service did not exist yet. And at that point, she still lived in Derek's spare room. Lady Loretta, do you believe the lifestyle of a coven vampire is better than the lifestyle of a rogue vampire? Not at all. I just see the benefits of living in the coven and believe the benefits are worth the homeowner association dues that I pay. Now, this might be due to my past, but if you were thrust into the world with your countrymen against you due to your religion or some other reason, you might also feel this way. And if you had lived when vampires were hated and hunted and feared rather than sexualized, you might understand why I choose a more communal coven lifestyle with my husband and family rather than live alone at the world at large. However, I will say a vampire is fairly safe during a torpor period. I personally have my husband and thralls to guard my body, and the credit union guards my assets. 
and the coven building is strong and fire-resistant. There are plenty of vampires who do not see the benefits of a coven. And I would say one should always do a cost analysis of homeowner association dues and compare them to your benefit package. Lady Loretta, can rogue vampires get help with their taxes? Certainly, our credit union serves the entire paranormal community. Anyone with account at the credit union can sign up for yearly tax assistance. However, if a rogue vampire goes into torpor, they need to have an agent to send the accounting staff documentation. Now, this can be done by a trusted thrall or family member. However, this arrangement doesn't always work as planned either. Mortimer isn't even the only rogue vampire we have known who has woken up to tax trouble. Our dear friend Lawrence, he had a human lover who would have been his husband if laws were fair and impartial in 1990 and early 2000s. Lawrence went to sleep and his beloved had a heart attack. His beloved's body was not found until lack of payment and property taxes brought in people from the city. Thankfully, Lawrence awoke before they found him asleep in the basement. And he had enough contacts with the greater supernatural community at large, and in the Paper Flower Consortium specifically, he was able to return to society quite quickly. Now the next question is from our beloved initiate, Lynn. Lady Loretta, forgive me for being slightly off topic, but it has been on my mind due to the state of the world, and you mentioned reflections in this lesson. How does the spread of cell phones and security cameras and required temperature checks affect vampires? Vampires do not reflect light, so all photography and video cameras take a lot of either modest clothing or cosmetics to actually get a good picture. Moreover, since we like the darkness, it is hard to often get a good picture. Our image in photography and video most often looks like we're in shadow or could be quite blurry. In fact, this is one of the reasons we have a professional photograph studio, Photos Evermore, on site in order for vampires to take all types of photography, including for identification. We even have our own DMV liaison for vampires who can drive in order to get their license renewed. Now, our body temperature is lower than that of a human's, so heat cameras will pick us up, but we will seem chilled in comparison. As for current business-wide temperature checks, of course, I suggest vampires remain out of sight as much as necessary. We do not want to accidentally spread the disease to our human or animal companions. However, I did ask Norma how she has been moving through the world in these past months. She suggested that if a vampire were to take a warm bath and get themselves to a comfortable 98, 99, 100 degrees, their body should remain warm enough to get to work and get their temperature checked. I hope this lesson didn't frighten my beloved initiates. But it is important for us to explain everything about being a vampire to truly know if you wish to be a vampire too. Next week, we shall be discussing the one question that more people ask about vampires than any other. Is immortal love really possible? Good day, my beloved initiates, and sleep the sleep of the dead. The Paper Flower Consortium podcast was written and performed by Elizabeth Gazzetti. You can learn more by going to elizabethgazetti.com slash paperflowerconsortium. If you have a question for Lady Loretta, please click the Ask Lady Loretta button or email her info at paperflowerconsortium.com. If you would like her to say your name in the podcast, please say so in the email. The Paperflower Consortium cares about privacy. And if you can afford it, please consider donating to the podcast either one time or through the Patreon. The intro and outro music was written by Evan Witt, and you can find his work at www.wittynotes.com. Thanks for listening.